from Monday to Friday, I was just a kid. Yeah. Mm. And then I, I was a grown-up from Friday to Sunday, mixing with, you know, people like Tom Jones and Linda Evans from Dynasty and things like that, you know. There's that photo, isn't there, of yes. um, everyone together, and I'm stood behind David Bowie, and I didn't realise <gasps> the enormity of that at the time. Now, my next guest found fame when he was wee boy, Walking in the air. Na, 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 na. I can't do it. My I voice doesn't do go it. that high. <laughs> His did. Yeah. Uh, Alan Jones, I mean, singer, presenter, author, so, so many different things, yeah? Yeah. And surely your first big what if moment was if you hadn't sang that song? Yes. Where would you First be? thing I was going to say is you sing that song better than your mum, Rosie. I can tell you that for nothing. <laughs> I had two long years of sitting next to her on a sofa where she would sing that every break. <laughs> I am not lying. Like we'd been interviewing probably David Cameron and I think that was the second day and off he went and she went, <laughs> and I'd be like, oh my God, how long is this? Gonna... Yeah, there we go. That's what I got. Uh, yeah, who, do you know what? That song is funny. It was one of the last things I did as a kid. Um, I was 15 when I recorded it and my first album I'd made when I was 12. Um, so, you know, it is a what if moment because if I hadn't sung it, probably my name wouldn't have been associated with Christmas and it may not still have been in the in the public eye. You know, there were lean years where I finished college and didn't work and um, I knew that every Christmas, you know, they'd defrost me in my cave in North Wales and I'd come out for <laughs> December and uh, earn a bit of money. So uh, in that respect, it was amazing, you know, but Listen, between you and me, and not many people know this, but, you know, a lot of people know that I wasn't the original boy to sing it on the film. Mm. Um, I sang it on quite a few DVDs when my time came. But actually, I went into the studio to record an advert for Toys R Us, and I'd only learned 30 seconds of the song, which is, we're walking in the air, we're floating in the moonlit sky, the people far below are sleeping as we fly. Mm -hmm. That was the ad. I'd done that in a studio in London in probably about half an hour, and the producer said, well, listen, we've still got four hours left on the session. The orchestra's here. Why don't we record the song? And I turned around to my mum and dad with a panicked look on my face and went, I haven't learnt it. And so the producer says, I'll teach you the song now. He did. We recorded it. Wow. Thank God. And the rest is history. That's amazing. Wow. I never knew that. I never no. knew that at all. And so were you 12 when you did your first album? What? How did that happen? Because um, the, al the album was such a weird thing. Um, I sang in a cathedral in Bangor, which I thought was the largest cathedral in the world, and it wasn't. It's just a glorified church. Mm -hmm. And on a Thursday service at five o'clock, there usually would be one woman in the congregation. And we loved these services because it felt you were just singing for yourself. Um, but that woman was called Havina Orwig Evans, lovely lady. And unbeknownst to me and my mum and dad, she wrote to a local Welsh recording company uh, saying, there's a boy in Bangor Cathedral whose voice you should record for posterity. And all of a sudden, uh, mum and dad and I got a letter through the post saying, we'd love you to record an album with a boy soprano from South Wales, and we'll call it Voices from Wales, maybe from North. Uh, that boy in South Wales' voice broke, so I did the whole album. Came out in Wales only, probably sold about 2,000 copies or something like that, if that. Um, but for some reason, it was on sale in St David's Hall in Cardiff, which is the main hall of Wales. A big producer from London was in Cardiff watching a concert and needed a soloist for three programmes that were coming from Israel um, the following year. And he picked up my album. And we got a call out of nowhere. My dad was an engineer at this point and my mum a, a primary school teacher. So my dad picks up the phone every night to some kind of weird person. And mm -hmm. this producer said, we'd love your son to be the soloist on these big BBC programmes. 
And so off I went to Israel, recorded these three programs with the BBC Welsh chorus. And the night before the first one aired, which was Christmas Eve, I think, or something like that, or maybe Easter, I can't remember, um, that producer rang my dad and said, listen, we've printed 4,000 copies of the music from the TV show. We're going to call it Voices from the Holy Land. And we don't expect anyone to buy it, but it'll be a nice memento for those who enjoyed the programme. Well, the following Tuesday, I think, the same producer rang my dad and said, is Alad there? Um, um, he might want to sit down, because at the moment, with pre-orders, the album has sold 250,000 copies, Whoa. and it's number two in the pop chart behind Bruce Springsteen and Born in the USA. Oh, I love and that. And that was it. That's brilliant. Wow. Isn't it? That's absolutely fantastic. Goodness me. The way things happen, it's it's just extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, but, but why, it is. It's all fluke. It, well, mm. it's, it's kind of like the right place at the right time sometimes. I mean, obviously, you've got yep. to be incredibly good at what you do, but it is... Well, if that guy's voice hadn't broken, yeah, like, what if exactly. it hadn't? Yeah, what if it hadn't? Absolutely, and and honestly, you know, what we just took it in our stride all the way through. As I say, you know, my mum and dad, well, especially my father, couldn't think of anything worse than having to go to London every weekend. Okay, he just wants to be in his garden or on his boat fishing. Mm. Um, he's shy doesn't like show business one bit. He just likes rugby and that's about it, you know. And so him having to give up so much for those four years that I was singing publicly, you know, I think he was the happiest man ever when I hit my 18th birthday and he went, you're on your own. <laughs> so <laughs> that was it, you know. So, so they gave up such a lot in those four years. But what was lovely is that we didn't know what we were doing, you know, because uh, I was the first to do everything there wasn't a blueprint that we could follow. I remember Richard Branson signing me to Virgin and he went, I'm not sure how we're going to sell your records. So all I'm going to do is sell them like we do Genesis and Boy George. And, and so that was it. You know, classical became pop almost. Yeah, mm. it did. And you helped that process, that whole process. You you really did. You'll love this. that Because my mum, of course, you know, these days it's the Brit Awards, but yeah. in the old days, I'm showing my age now, it was the Rock and Pop Awards. And, I've you know, remember. it was in Grosvenor House yes. and it was wild. And But there was always... <laughs> one kind of award for classical album of the year. And in my life, it was only me, Pavarotti or Julian Lloyd Webber that ever won it. And hmm. so I would always be invited down to the rock and pop. And my mum would go to Dorothy Perkins or Debenhams <laughs> and buy a little dress, you know, and we'd always be on a table with Roger Daltrey or <gasps> Boy George or, you know, uh, Spandau Ballet or all these people. And literally I'd be the geek going around the hall getting people's autographs whilst my mum just lived it up with Roger Daltrey. Fantastic. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> so going from a sort of child star to 18 and being thrown out on your own kind of, was that hard? I was never a child star. Uh, yeah. Your mum will tell you that I can't stand that um, expression because it makes me think of teeth and tap shoes and yeah. it wasn't like tiaras. that at all. You know, I, from Monday to Friday, I was, yeah, for, just, exactly. Yeah. I've still got my tiara. Um, <laughs> you know, Monday to Monday, Monday to Friday, I was just a normal kid and comprehensive. And then Friday, Saturday and Sunday, I'd be all over the world. So, you know, it was, I don't know, it's the transition was pretty easy because I stopped singing on my own terms. I was with the people that had always recorded my voice. I'd done four songs and the top of the voice was the best it had ever been. You know, sparkly top notes and the middle was really breathy. I had a bit of a cold and I remember... The people recording my voice were in the van outside and I was in a church in Penarth, just outside Cardiff. And we'd done something like 12 albums together. And I remember pushing the button going, is mum there? 
well, is mum there? And um, <laughs> they went, no, no, she's gone shopping. Uh, and I went, does it sound okay? And they went, yeah, 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 let's carry on. But unbeknownst to me, mum was in the van and they were all crying because they thought, oh, this is probably the beginning of the end. And oh. I kind of sensed that anyway. And so I just said, you know, do you mind if we go for lunch? And I was in the car with a producer going for lunch. And I just said to him, do you mind if we don't go back? And he went, you know what? I'm really pleased you've said that. We'll stop the album here and that's mm -hmm. it. And my biggest worry was that every time I did an album in Wales, at the end of the album, we'd all go for a Chinese in Canton called The Happy Gathering. Mm -hmm. And I thought because I hadn't delivered an album that we wouldn't go for a Chinese. Um, but unbeknownst to me, everyone that I'd worked with in South Wales had been rung. And that night, it was on my 16th birthday, um, I walked into the Happy Gathering and there were about 150 people there all saying goodbye. So it was lovely. Oh, that's a gorgeous story. And the thing is, you probably had a better time there than any of the big kind of showbiz things. You know, the showbiz yeah, things absolutely. are great. I mean, they're wonderful. And the things you've done. I mean, you, you sang at Bob Geldof's wedding. And that was, you know how <laughs> you know how people go, star-studded event? That yeah. truly was. Yeah, it was it was mental. Um, <laughs> you know, it was like nothing I'd ever seen. You know, people, I suppose, in my era would talk about Posh and Bex's wedding and stuff like that, or, or something that's happening in Hollywood. But this was, I would say, British pop royalty. You know, there were helicopters landing in, and and you know, I was singing all through the service. And Bob and Paula, you know, and my befriended my mum and dad. Bob and Paula's daughter was running after me, getting me to sing Walking in the Air all the time. And, <laughs> you know, Simon Le Bon was best man. Billy Connolly was there. Um, and, yeah, it was just crazy. My, my mum and dad, I don't think, had ever been to an event where there was a free bar. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I was too young for that, unfortunately. But I remember singing in the service and, God, this is so embarrassing. And Simon <laughs> Le Bon coming up to me afterwards and he went, love your socks. And... Rosie, you won't remember this, but um, do you remember like, there was an era where kids at school would wear luminous socks, but yes. one green and one orange? Yes, we and did. I had why? decided to. I don't know why. Yeah. Nobody knows. I don't, know. don't ask Nobody why. Nobody knows why. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I, the, the why is why did I decide to wear them to Bob and oh, Paula's no. wedding? Yes. <laughs> so I had this suit on, but with these luminous socks. But they came in handy because after the wedding, there was a, a lunch, of course. And again, can you imagine this happening this day and age with health and safety? I remember everyone is tucking into the vicious soise that was the first bit, okay, of the wedding. I was sitting next to Billy Connolly, which was the best thing ever. Oh, wow. And one of the chefs came out and said, oh, I'm really sorry, everyone. I hope this doesn't spoil your meal, but one of the sous chefs has cut the top of his finger off and it's in <gasps> oh. the soup somewhere. Oh. So whoever finds it gets a prize. <laughs> no. <laughs> and it wasn't and in your soup? Everyone just tucked in. <gasps> Nobody bothered. <laughs> oh, for goodness sake. Can oh. you imagine if that was in Billy so, Conley's soup? <laughs> I, know, I wish it had been. I think it was in one of Spandau Ballets. Oh, um, God. <laughs> or maybe George Michael. Um, but, you know... Um, so the luminous socks came in handy for the simple reason that after the vicious and the uh, lunch, um, Bob decided that, that we were going to play baseball outside in their garden because the whole thing happened in his house because he has a church next to his house. And so it was Bob's team versus Paula's team. And I was on Paula's team and it was getting dusk and no one could really see the ball. I think it was, I can't remember who complained. And so Bob goes, oh, Get one of your luminous socks off. So I took ah. off my luminous orange sock, put ah. it on the ball, and Brilliant. then we carried on playing because people could see it. That's very no, cool. No, that's clever.
That is good. Did Paula not have a red wedding dress? Or if I do, I remember that she properly. Did. She looked yeah. absolutely beautiful. Really, it was beautiful. yeah. And there, there's that photo, isn't there, of yes. um, everyone together? And I'm stood behind David Bowie, and I didn't realise <gasps> the enormity of that at the time. And there's actually another photo which has done the rounds now, I think, but it wasn't. It wasn't out in the public for ages because we took the official photo where everyone is just standing there. And then all of a sudden, Midjour lifted up his kilt Yay! and he wasn't wearing anything underneath. No. And all you see is everyone looking and laughing. Oh, <laughs> good Scotsman. You're not supposed to wear anything no, underneath. No, you're not. But... You're not, but yeah. Oh, God, that's funny. And you're having this brilliant career. You you seem to go from strength to strength. And when, because you're such a grafter, when the singing stopped for that time, because obviously it came back again, but what did you do then as a sort of late, in your late teens, early 20s? It was it was an interesting one because, you know, I, I remember spending the whole day or two days in BBC in Bangor doing interview after interview after interview, all sort of justifying why my voice had broken and I was retiring. And the line some PR guy had given me was, you know, retiring on a high, you know, oh God, oh, you know, all that business. Yeah, and so I anyway, you. I did all that. And then it's, it's so weird how things happen. Um, Japan got to hear of my voice, but of course my voice had broken. Mm -hmm. And they asked if they could release all 12 of my boy albums or 15 of my boy albums in Japan. And I said, well, yeah, well, my parents and manager said, yeah, of course. Um, but what, you know, what can he do? And mm -hmm. they came up with a bizarre idea that I would do interviews all day. And then in the evening, I would narrate Hansel and Gretel in Japanese whilst the Vienna Voice Choir performed it. And honestly, when that offer came in, I thought whoever is on the other end of that idea is drunk because this is mental. <laughs> and so I learned it uh, phonetically and then with a researcher, a lovely lady called Masako who was out there. And we went twice for two months, I think, uh, over a long period of time to go out to Japan and... In a year, all albums had sold like two million copies. And I remember oh. Terry Wogan always saying here that my fans were grannies. And we got to Tokyo Airport and there were like 500 teenage girls waiting for me. It was like, Yay. what's happened? <laughs> I love that. I so, so, I suppose, so in a way, you see, that bridged the gap between the career here ending. So I went to Japan and I was still doing something relevant and performing. Sure. And then I came back and I, I was adamant that, you know, I really didn't want to just be little Ella Jones who used to sing a bit, who's now rubbish at everything. So I went to the Royal Academy of Music for three years and then went to Bristol Olvic for two years. And at least then the critics can call you rubbish, but at least you're kind of qualified rubbish then. No, but you serve your time <laughs> and you learn. Yeah. You know, that that's the thing. Oh, I want to ask if you, because of the way that your, your childhood was, did you ever feel like you missed out in a way? The only thing I missed out I on was swimming. Oh. Because every time I swam, it might have been something to do with the local baths in Bangor, but every time <laughs> I swam, I got cold. And oh. so, you know, you can't really sing with a chest infection, and that's my big weakness. If I get a really bad cold, I think Lorraine knows this anyway, mm. but, you know, it goes to my chest and then yeah. that's it, game over, can't mm. sing. Mm. And so, yeah, that's the only thing, really. I managed to combine, yeah, I suppose, both careers, you know, being a, a schoolboy and also being a a singer uh, all over the world. So I didn't really miss out on anything, you know, maybe some football uh, football uh, matches at school and stuff, but I was very lucky, you know, from Monday to Friday, I was just a kid. Yeah. Mm. And then I, I was a grown-up from Friday to Sunday, mixing with, you know, people like Tom Jones and Linda Evans from Dynasty and things like that, you know. It's amazing. All the things so that you've cool. done is incredible. You did go to America, 
but you didn't go on the Johnny Carson show, the, the show that made the Beatles in America. Ali Jones, you could have been a, a huge, even more of a huge superstar in the United States of America. But what, what and, went on? You know, I would have missed out on two years with the UA. Indeed, um, and that was worth it. Oh, yes. Do you know what? This, this is, that's my Homer Simpson moment. You know, the, oh, um, <laughs> that's probably the, the biggest mistake I made with, um, or maybe it wasn't. You know, I remember I sang in the Hollywood Bowl with the LA Philharmonic Orchestra. It was, we were there three nights, I think. And to be brutally honest with both of you, I was more excited about going to Disneyland, okay, mm. um, than singing on stage in the Hollywood Bowl. But anyway, I sang the first night um, with a very uh, officious German conductor, I remember, who wasn't very, that particularly nice to me. And then the second night I sang, and these sort of two power-dressed ladies came backstage, and they said, oh, hi, can we speak to you? And all this business. My mum and dad were there and ma some management, I think, I don't know. And they said, Johnny Carson, who's an interviewer here in the States, wants to devote his whole show, because he was here last night and he loves you. He wants to devote the whole show to you. You'll sing a, two or three songs and he'll interview just you on his show. And I looked at my mum and dad, you know, and they looked at me and they said, well, how do you feel about that, Al? Because they always asked me if I yeah. wanted to do it. Yeah. Uh, it was usually around the kitchen table. And Oh God, I can't believe I said this. I said, oh, do you know what? I know that my school's got a football match day after tomorrow and I miss my girlfriend. And I went, no, don't worry, we won't bother doing oh. it. <laughs> Yikes. So, Did they try and talk you out so, of it? Talk you no, into they, it? I, they, they literally, Rosie, they literally, their jaws hit the floor, OK? Nobody would because have ever think, said no to that. No. no nobody. No nobody. one would. It was, a, it was a programme I think then was watched by something like 200 million mm -hmm. or something like that, people. And neither my mum or dad or myself knew who Johnny Carson was because we <laughs> didn't have TV like that in Wales. And so we just got on the plane and buggered off back home. <laughs> oh, God, isn't that astonishing? That is a real what if. That is a real what if. I could have been with Macaulay Culkin and Michael Jackson and hanging no. out in oh, Hollywood. Do you know maybe. what? Maybe you made absolutely the, <laughs> you right, made the right decision. Choice. You made the right decision. Um, and you moved to acting and you played Joseph on stage, which a musical I've not seen. Have you seen it, Mom? Have you not seen I've Joseph? Of course it. I've seen Joseph. I've seen it. Really? No, I've never seen it. Oh, it's a brilliant show. I know. It's fantastic. But, I mean, that was a very special show because something very special happened, didn't it? Oh, yes, you met someone very special. Oh, yeah, you're talking about my wife. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Yeah, in, the, in, the very, in the very romantic setting of North Pier in Blackpool. Oh. Talk oh. about keeping it real. And... Uh, <laughs> I came out with the worst chat-up line in the world, and it really wasn't a chat-up line, OK? But what happens in Blackpool, well, I don't know if it does now, but in the good old days anyway, you know, there'd be a show in the Winter Gardens that would run for 20 weeks for the whole summer season, and I was doing Joseph in that. And that was my first show out of college. And, you know, Bristol Ovic tells you never put on airs and graces, never have wig mistress and makeup. You do it all yourself and, you know, keep it real. And I go into a musical that was the largest one in the world on tour with wig mistress, makeup artist, the lot, you know. So anyway, after the first night, all the shows, so all the pier shows and all the shows in Blackpool congregate on North Pier and they have photos taken for the local paper. And I remember the year I was doing Joseph on North Pier was Les Dennis and Sue Pollard. Um, and I think Chubby Brown or something was on oh, some God. other pier. And anyway, I was on a carousel and the photographer said, oh, pick a pretty girl to have a photo with. And I went, no, that's naff. I'm not doing that. And he went, you, to Claire, you come over here and have a photo. Because she was taking a year out and she was in the Tower Circus. Because ah, um, right. her, her father was a, a member of the circus. And anyway, so she's in these kind of, you know, 
in an outfit and she's standing there and I'm thinking oh my god we had our opening night last night I feel a little bit fragile and mm. I've just wolfed down a beef and onion sandwich on the way here <laughs> and so the first thing I said to her was I'm really sorry if my breath smells I've just had a beef and onion sandwich <laughs> and that was it love oh, at first sight loveliness <laughs> isn't that isn't that good that's like that's like Steve asking me to go and see Dundee United versus Hearts you know that it's like go, that you, you kept it no but you kept it very real yeah. which is which is good and and obviously well, she, she was and oh, she was awful to me for six months about six weeks actually would keep me waiting outside Woolworth just to see if I was keen or not oh. and because I was in like the biggest show in Blackpool I was basically had a row of about 30 people asking for autographs as I waited <laughs> She's, oh. and she was like I'll just keep you waiting there now in Joseph there is a scene of course where you're basically in a nappy I mean, you really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not a nappy. It's yeah. like a sort of. What would you say? Well, should we, we going to watch it now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, what would we describe that as? It's it's like a sort of under under undergarment. It's called it's called uh, a loincloth. A loincloth, right? Like Tarzan. Yeah. Right. Yes. But yeah, it was white, except like more nappy. frightening. Okay. <laughs> so that's, that's honestly, a big deal when you've got it, to stand there in your undercrackers to the and everybody's looking at you. I went up to Edinburgh for a fitting because that's where Joseph was maybe about sort of six months before I took on the role and there were four women of a certain age fussing around me what they call it that cartoon character Tasmanian devil they were running around me (laughs) I was in front of this huge mirror and then all of a sudden they opened up the mirror and they said this is what you wear for most of the show and basically I was naked apart from this very short loincloth and I can't tell you what I said um, (laughs) because it wasn't very choir boyish Um, (laughs) But honestly, it is the most frightening thing in the world when you first do it because you have these silk little pants underneath it oh, so and the loincloth is shorter ask. than a short skirt. Oh, gosh, yeah. that is that is quite scary. And you said that thing there about being a choir boy. Everybody's got that about you. You are lovely. You're a genuinely good fella, but you're also incredibly naughty. Well, it takes very one to naughty. know one, I would say. I know, and quite <laughs> badly behaved, I'm very glad to say, because I think that's what kept us both sane for two years of doing uh, the, the Crazy Breakfast TV. We, we just we just made each other laugh, right? So we can do yeah. it. And, and, and also, honestly, um, we've said this before, but if they'd put what we were talking about during the break out on air, we would have had millions <gasps> oh, of viewers. Yes. <laughs> we also would have been in big trouble. Be in big trouble. <laughs> I remember when you did the rehearsal, for daybreak in Dundee. Yes, that's right. Do you yes. remember? Because I had yeah, a driving you lesson. You had your injury, and yes. I and you weren't well. And then we did we did it in was it the over? It was next to the overgate. It was next to the overgate. We did it. We did it in Dundee. And that's because yeah. I was recovering from that accident that when yeah. the, when the horse yeah. trampled me. And I, I remember. I remember it very funny. And I think that was probably the first time that we. It was the first time that you met properly. Met properly. I think yeah. you'd been on yeah. the show before. You'd been on like TVAM and and GMTV yeah. and things mm. like that as a guest, obviously. So I knew you that way but I didn't know you you know and 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 also that was the first time I met Rosie yeah. That's right. But I remember that day because it was all sort of like oh we don't know what's going to happen we don't know it was all a bit like not tense but it was very no one was having a laugh. No, and then no. you came on. <laughs> and then you came on. And you said something about how you'd done a celeb lookalike app and you got Claire Baldy. <laughs> and everyone just started laughing. I was like, okay, this is it. <laughs> and that was, honestly, I was howling because, I mean, you're not dissimilar. <laughs> no, thank you. Is that worse for her or worse for me, I wonder? I think it's good. I think it's good for both of you. I mean, listen, I'll show you how how um, how much you can rely on those apps. Steve, you know, my husband Steve did one. Yeah. And his lookalike was Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was. It was 
of the funniest things I've ever seen. Oh my god! But you made me laugh, and you continue uh, to make me laugh, which is absolutely well, you know what? We wonderful. had such a laugh doing it, didn't we? Both yeah. of us. You know, it's uh, we we were we we were friends throughout. Oh gosh, mm. yeah. It was it was we kept each other seen. Do you have any standout moments from it? It was just the whole thing was really bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'd have to be here for another hour just talking about yeah. about that. There's a new se- there's a whole series oh, talking whole about series. that. I tell you what, we we'd really enjoy doing we'd do the show and then we'd enjoy going to the cinema to watch something if we were interviewing somebody the next yes. day do you remember we used to trot off to watch films together i know and then we'd get all embarrassed at the naughty bits and we'd, we'd get yeah. all oh God. <laughs> rosie this was the worst <laughs> bit ever i've watched a, a film with your mum where a sex scene came on okay and both of us you could see we both, both kind of went oh this is really <laughs> We just we just had to giggle all the way through it. You do that thing yeah. where you start you start talking. Yes. You're like, oh here we go yeah. again. Yes. Yeah. Sex rears its ugly head. Like if you're quiet, yeah. maybe it'll, you know, end quicker. We'll oh my not, goodness. Yeah. But, but yeah. it was worse really because they were, invariably it was just you and your mum in it with me. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> invariably it was worse because it was just your mum and me in the cinema. So yes, was, yeah, exactly. Terrible. Exactly. Oh. Now look, were you the very last This Is Your Life with Michael Aspo? which is a show I you was. won't remember, Rose, but it was a no. brilliant show. He had a, he used to surprise people. He had a big red book and it was, this hey. is your life. life. Do you remember? Da, 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 da. And they did you and you had no idea, did you? You had no clue. I had no idea. It was a and great it was, show. I was probably the luckiest man in the world because I was on stage in the Albert Hall doing Songs of Praise in front of 5,000 Christians and on walked Michael Aspel. And it is a miracle that I didn't swear. <gasps> well done. <laughs> Well because done. I had no idea. No, not at all. And no and nobody no. does. You... So how does it work? He surprises people with their with their life. life. And then you go back to a studio, don't you, Alid? And then all these yeah. people that, that you sort of try and remember and, 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 and people that you love, <laughs> people that you absolutely love, but then there might be a few wibbly ones what if in you there. Forget? What if you Oh God, I don't know if I like that. Just call everybody darling. Oh. And honestly, Rosie, I hated it as well because I don't like surprises at all, okay? Mm. So the surprise on stage was a surprise. And we finished the Songs of Praise recording at 10.30 in the evening. And they went, right, we're off to Teddington now. I was like, what, now? And so we arrived in Teddington about quarter to midnight and there's about 200 people waiting outside who have no idea who they're coming to see film. All they get is a cup of tea and a biscuit. You can imagine their disappointment. (laughs) They've waited an hour and they're going, oh, no, not Alec Jones. (laughs) I thought it was going to be Margaret Thatcher or something like that. You know, so um, we did the This Is Your Life and there were a few moments where he goes, and do you remember this voice? And you go... Oh, geez, who's that? Oh, yes, I do. And so, um, and yeah, that was the last one that ever went out. It was so bad, they cancelled it. No, they did it. You (laughs) you finished off that franchise. No, no, no. It was was a really interesting and good show. It was. I, I thought it was fantastic. Now, look, there's you doing incredibly well. But the kids, yeah. your children are doing brilliantly. You know, your wee boy, he's sang with you, hasn't he? You two of you sang together. I know, I think that was the low point of his life, but uh, he's moved on from that now. He's a six foot two kind of uh, strapping lad now. And, oh, but what a lovely uh, yeah, experience. I, it was lovely. And also, as you know, you know, he and I went off to Australia when I was on tour there for a month as well. And that was lovely. You know, we got yeah. to see the whole of Australia together. And that's a, a memory I'll never, ever forget. And of course, Amelia just goes from strength to strength. And the Oscars. I know, our movie won an Oscar. Yeah. Fabulous. <laughs> I mean, that's just the stuff of dreams, really. Yeah, especially when the film that she was in, you know, it's a low-budget uh, film that no one really thought would 
resonate so much. You know, we have a mutual friend, Ross King, and he was always going to me, oh, no, I reckon it's going to do well. And I'm like, ah, that's rubbish, (laughs) rubbish, rubbish. And even up to the morning of the Oscars, he was like, no, it's something's changed in Hollywood. And I was like, whatever. And then, of course, it won. And yeah, it was it was a mad time for her because, you know, she'd never experienced anything as mad as that before, Mm. as in, you know, the five costume changes a day and all that sort of business. And, uh, you know, what I'm proud about more than anything with her is that she loves the work that she does and she's a really hard worker. For that role alone, she spent six months learning sign language and not even British sign language, so American sign language. She learned how to sing. And, you know, with the role that she's about to start now, she's been in the gym for six months, really bulking up. Um, Her whole body's changed its shape. Um, She's had to dye her hair blonde, which didn't go well, let me tell you, okay? Uh, We've had a bit tears of that. Uh, And also she's had to learn how to speak in Arabic, in Texan. And so, you know, she... She immerses herself into every role mm. that she does. No, it's great. And that movie, of course, was Coda, which was a fantastic film. And and like I say, she's doing very quietly, very effectively. She just gets on with it. She's a grafter. And she must get that from you and Claire. Um, because both of you, you, you are a hardworking man. You are. You always have yeah. been. And do you know what I think? Yeah, that's... I hope so. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. And, but also, you know, she, what she feels is, I suppose what I felt as, as maybe more as a, a boy or, a, you know, a teenager is that if you're doing something like that in the public eye, you have to really know what you're doing. Whereas now, you know, as you get older, you can c- cut corners a little bit and, <laughs> and black it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But with her, she has to prepare. Yeah. You know, it's almost like a, a thirst to know mm. everything about the role that she's playing. So, um, so she's doing it for the right reasons. Last. Yeah, she's doing it for the right reasons. She's doing it because she wants to do it and she wants to get better. And that's that's incredible. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. And you, you know, the singing is back. The singing never, did it ever go away, really? Was it just, was there a little time when you were, because even when you were on stage, you were singing. Yeah, oh. I, I tell you what, oh, it's funny because you mentioned Joseph and, you know, I'd been to the Royal Academy of Music. I was the youngest male there on the, the performers course. And then I went to Bristol and that's the place, I suppose, that taught me that I did have maybe something to offer again. So they mm. teach you everything there from movement to, you know, acting to musical theatre, everything, the voice. And then I, I went to Joseph and every night there were standing ovations, but I didn't really enjoy the singing. It mm. felt, I don't know, that something was missing. And then... Over the years, I started doing songs of praise, started singing the music I did as a kid, and everything slowly over time has clicked into place. And I suppose, you know, coming back into recording, I think it was the year 2000 or something like that, I did an album, it went to number one and number four in the chart, pop charts or something. And then I thought, oh no, this is a real crossroads now because they want to do another album and if that doesn't sell, and that's it, it's all over. And I suppose that's the time as an adult I felt most pressure. Mm. Um, thankfully, that album did better than the first. And and so you carry on, you know, and, and now I love, especially since lockdown, when everything was taken away, I love singing more than ever. I really do. You can tell, you can absolutely tell. And you're you're being a mentor as well. You're helping others. See, I think that's really important. When you get to the stage where you are, you've amassed all this knowledge and all this experience on so many different fields and you're you're passing that on. And I think that's really yeah. important, you know, pay it, it forward. It is definitely, because people were always helpful to me, you know. Um, people along the way always gave me a, a chance and, and gave me advice. Although I hate kind of... I don't know, giving advice sometimes. I think, you know, who am I to do that really? And I suppose the only time I've given useful tips was funny enough to Amelia, um, the poor thing, her first, you know, public performance, 
as a singer was in the BAFTAs in the Royal Albert Hall. Well, it doesn't get more nerve-wracking and, you know, showbiz than that. And honestly, I was there for the dress rehearsal and I could see that she was scared. And I said, well, the top tip that singers use a lot if they're scared is hold on to the mic stand because it grounds you. Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you feel like you've got, it's it's like holding on to something if you're going to fall, isn't it? You know, a banister or whatever. Mm -hmm. So hold on to the mic stand and also focus on one place in the hall just before you sing. Because I think there was a speech by Prince William before she sang. So, you know, again, pressure, pressure. You're on stage waiting and waiting and waiting. Then someone says, from Coda to sing both sides now, you know, a song everyone knows, Amelia Jones. Um, But when I saw her the next day, because I was, working on tour and I came back home and she went yeah that was great the mic stand thing but the focusing on someone in the crowd yeah it didn't go too well and I was like why she said well the person I focused on was Lady Gaga oh my god (laughs) (laughs) well let's suppose she said and then she said I moved I moved left and it was the cast of West Side Story oh Jesus (laughs) it was one it was one of those events when there's just like little you know like like the sort of events you used to do Oh, for goodness sake. So that whole thing of imagining the audience is naked, has that ever worked for you? No, because my my audience is over 70. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing wrong with that, of course. They love you. you. They adore you. That's the thing, Alad, you have got a really loyal following. I mean, obviously you talked about Songs of Praise and you're still doing that, of course. And people... You know, people feel, I suppose people feel because they've seen you grown up before their very eyes. There's a real kind of connection there that you probably don't get with most people. I've been very lucky, you know, um, I know that you feel kind of the same way as well. And that, you know, to be doing what you love, but also doing what you do for over 20, 30 years, is just amazing I still I don't take it for granted at all you know and so when I am on stage and I find that people have come to see you it's like there's nothing there's no better feeling yeah and also as we mentioned you know a writer you're you're writing children's stories you're doing all that sort of thing too I mean that's again that's a that's a lovely thing to do it it was something that really helped me through lockdown because the family as you know were in Canada and I think I spoke to you actually for my little dungeon I was in uh, quarantine for two weeks and you don't know this story okay Lorraine but um to talk to your mum live on her show, I was in Toronto in quarantine in a bunker underground. It had been sold as somewhere that had lots of lovely views. There were no windows. Oh. Okay, it was no bigger than a kitchen. And so basically, to talk to your mum, we had to gauge the time because the trains would go underneath me and make a noise. The fridge was so massive and old that it made such a noise. I had to switch the fridge off, had oh. to switch the heating off. <laughs> I had to get up about an hour earlier. And, of course, I got up, I think, at half two in the morning to switch everything off so we could have a chat. (laughs) That was crazy. Absolutely crazy. But, you know, I think you're probably busier than than ever you've been, but you are in a situation now where you can, you know, if you really, really want to do something, you can do it. And, yeah, if if you don't fancy it, not so much. You You can do what you want to do. I think now that I've got the nice balance of the radio, TV, and and but more than anything, the singing, which is, you know... The voice probably won't last forever, so you know. But I, I, I intend to give it a, a damn good go for the next twenty years with the singing, and 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 really enjoy it, you know, and then see what happens. But yeah, you know, I get opportunities to do mad things like the Mask Singer. Oh, I and... loved oh, you in so the Mask Singer. You were so cool, wasn't that brilliant? Oh, oh little Coney. Brilliant. You were cool, <laughs> and it was just I, I thought it was you, but I wasn't sure. It was one of those. But what a great thing to laugh. What a... 
brilliant. You thing. should do it. No, but you know that I cannot sing. You know that. Mm. I mean, you she can, Rosie. She can. <laughs> there she can't. <laughs> I don't really can. It's really, really bad. Really bad. So we end each episode by getting guests to tell us their biggest fail, regret, and win. Ooh. And they okay. can be as silly or as serious as you like. Yeah. Um, okay. We'll start with fail. Fail would probably be forgetting my words to memory in front of the Queen in a oh. Royal Variety <gasps> performance. Ali Jones. You didn't How did you know cover us. that up? I made it up, believe it or okay. not. It was in Edinburgh in the, is it called the Playhouse? Yeah. 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 Yes. And honestly, even now I've got sweaty palms thinking about oh. it, okay? I, I was a little kid and I remember the director coming up to me after rehearsal saying, because my, my shield, if you like, as a boy, was I'd have a words in front of me. And he said, don't use the words, you look stupid. And I went, okay. But I'd only <laughs> learned the words on the train coming down. And I remember standing there. Tom Jones was backstage, I remember, and funny enough, uh, Linda Evans next to him listening. And I sang, Midnight on the Sound on the Pavement, first verse, fine. And then in between you hear, ding, 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 ding. And I looked down the hall, and there was a red exit sign, and oh. it was flickering. And I thought, oh my God, I don't know what comes next after a midnight. Oh. And, I, and I looked oh. a little bit to my left, and the Queen was there, Prince oh. Philip, oh. Charles, and all that business. And I went, Midnight, not a sound of the pit. I can hear the choir singing. They are singing alone. I can hear them, the choir singing beautiful songs, and the memory lingers on. And then I, I was back into the world. But bloody hell, it oh. was horrendous. That's like a nightmare, mm. isn't it? That's like a stress and, nightmare. <laughs> and honestly, Lorraine, for the whole of my childhood, yeah, that would have, if I had a nightmare, that was always Ooh, the yeah. catalyst for it. Because what would happen, I think, wasn't it JR who forgot his words and his mum ran on stage to she help did. him? She did, Mary Martin, she ran on stage, she ran on stage yeah. to save him, I remember. Oh my And goodness. so I was, I kept thinking, what would happen if I'd forgotten? Would the Queen have gone to the tower, you know, whatever? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Gosh, I'm uh, regret. Now. Regret? Is there a regret? Well, the regret would have to be probably the Johnny Carson one, just to mm. see what would have happened. You know, yeah. I tend not to bother with kind of regrets. <laughs> What's been is been, and time to move forward. Really, you know. And uh, I suppose we all have regrets in some things that we have done. We would have done differently. But for me, maybe that would have been a fun one, just to see what the reaction would have been. But as you said, Lorraine, you know, I was probably much better off just coming back home and playing football. Definitely, mm. definitely. And then you might not have met Claire and then you might not have had your children. Exactly. And, yeah. And then you might not have had the I'd opportunity. I'd have been with the Kardashians. You would. Yes. Oh, no, could you imagine? <laughs> and you wouldn't have had the opportunity to sing with me, so really. Exactly, yeah. a fairy tale it's of New York. It's all worked out very well. It's all worked out very well. Um, and your biggest win? Oh, well, biggest win is the family I've got, I would yeah. say, um, yeah. because without them, I'm nothing, really. They're everything that I'd ever hoped for. You know, they're my rocks. They're the people I want to spend all my time with, really. Uh, as far as careers concerned, probably that second album as a man, which proved that I could do what mm. I love forever, hopefully. There were occasions where I sang privately for the Prince and Princess of Wales in their living room. That was fun. Singing with Leonard Bernstein on stage, with him conducting his piece. Mm. That was amazing. So, yeah, you know, those sort of things, career-wise. But I, I more than anything, I love working all the way up to Christmas and then closing the door and just being mm -hmm. with the people I love. That sounds perfect. Yeah. Thank you, Ali Jones. Just keep doing what you're doing. Don't ever stop. Thank you very much, Lorraine <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good to talk to you. It really is. Thank oh, you so you. much. Oh, and you, lovely. Oh.